Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and this is Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. As a mom of four kids in New York City and a writer myself, I know all too well how short everyone is on time, so I'm here to help. I'm going to interview authors and writers of all types about their work, especially as it relates to parenting and family issues. Hopefully you can listen while doing 8 million other things and fall in love with these talented scribes and their fantastic books, essays, and songs like I have, plus get some tips on surviving parenthood. For more about me, you can check out my essays at zibbyowens.com. Today's episode has been sponsored by Once Upon a Farm. We know you'd love to feed your little one fresh food you make at home, but when there isn't time for shopping, chopping, and blending, we've got you covered with organic, cold-pressed blends as close to homemade as it gets. Onceuponafarmorganics.com. I'm thrilled to be interviewing Rosie Walsh today, my first guest who's uh, British. Rosie Walsh is making her U.S. debut with Ghosted, a novel set in Stroud, Gloucestershire, where she was raised. It was actually called The Man Who Didn't Call when it came out in England. The U.S. seems to be the last to get this amazing book, as the rights have been sold to 30 countries already. In many, it's already a bestseller. Rosie has written four books and many articles, including a blog for Marie Claire under the pseudonym Lucy Robinson. Her Lucy Robinson's Lucy Robinson books are called The Day We Disappeared, The Unfinished Symphony of You and Me, A Passionate Love Affair with a Total Stranger, and The Greatest Love Story of All Time. This is the first novel with her own name attached. A former documentary filmmaker and huge animal lover, she currently lives with her partner, who she calls The Man, and with whom she has a baby in Bristol in the UK. She thought she was going to become an actress, but says, For a while I thought I was going to be an actor, but at university it came to my attention that I was crap at acting. So, lucky for us, she became a writer. Hi, Rosie. Hello, hello. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> oh, so excited. Very excited always, as you probably saw mine. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations on your U.S. release. <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. The most exciting time ever. I just, I feel completely hysterical. <laughs> I love how you've like documented the whole process from sitting in your Pilates pants, finding out that the book was going to be sold in the U.S. and everything, and now to seeing it come out. It must be just so wild for you. It is. I was just on a radio speed earlier and just thinking, oh, my God, I'm talking to a whole load of people that I'll probably ever meet in the States. This is completely insane. How did this happen? It's funny, no matter how many times you tell yourself, that it's, it's real. It doesn't feel real. I mean, even even now, you know, I, only part of me really believes it, which is, um, <laughs> I really should stop believing it because it's out today. I know. It's so awesome. It's really awesome. Well, yeah. you, I mean, I you're, I'm, hop on a plane and see it. <laughs> well, if you, if you end up hopping on a plane, I'd love to meet you in person eventually. So, you know, this is, that's, oh, likewise. that's at least one U.S. person. <laughs> Well, it, that would be fair. I have a 14-month-old, so it's, it's, it's challenging. Oh, so cute. <laughs> I'll get over there soon, I'm sure. Maybe okay. next year. For the paperback. <laughs> um, I loved your book. I mean, it's oh. it makes it so much more fun to talk to someone. I mean, I love almost every everything I've been reading for the podcast, but I really, really enjoyed it. I was like on the edge of my seat reading it. So, um, thank, I mean, it was so good. So anyway, thank you for writing it. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll, Oh no, thank you. So can, can, can you, um, can you tell listeners who have not, uh, have not read ghost yet because it's coming out now, um, uh, what it's about and how you came up with the idea? Sure, yeah. Um, Ghosted is the story of Sarah, who believes that in Eddie she's met the love of her life, only for him to disappear off the face of the earth. 
Um, and her friend's convinced she's been ghosted, of course, but Sarah's certain there's a more sinister reason for his disappearance. Um, so her quest to find him turns into, story, into a story about love, grief, culpability, forgiveness mental health, family, all sorts of things. I think above all, though, it's, it's about the power of stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and about other people. Amazing. Um, so you actually... St- <laughs> you, I mean, is that all? I mean, that's like everything. What else could you squeeze in there? <laughs> I know. I finished that, of course. That's quite a list. Am I being a little ambitious there? But yeah. <laughs> things. Well, if you think of a few more, you know, feel free to jump yeah. in and add them later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you could just update your, your website, please, yes. that'd be ideal. So. <laughs> Um, so I was interested to learn you started out by writing a blog for Marie Claire about life and love and you chose a pseudonym kindly um, to the men uh, you were sort of dealing with at the time not to out them in any way and your pseudonym Lucy Robinson became her own sort of famous creation um, and you wrote four books under her name um, mm-hmm. went to Buenos Aires wrote the greatest love story of all time because a women's fiction editor suggested it can you tell me about that whole transition from blogging to writing a novel and just what that whole thing was about sure um, so I think a lot of people write a blog in the hope that you know that a novel might come out of it that, I really can hand on heart say that was not my intention I'd never planned to be a writer uh, and I sometimes feel guilty telling this story because, you know, so many of my writer friends had to work so incredibly hard. But I guess we've all been on the same journey. We all had to write a book that was publishable. Um, but, yeah, I really had never considered being a writer, even though many people had said that I should be. Um, I, just, I just never imagined that, that that would be something that I could do or that would be possible for me. Um, but I had an email from a woman called Kate, who was a women's fiction editor, saying, I've been following your blog, I love it. Would you like to talk about writing a novel? So I replied saying, Oh, you know, not no, don't think so, not sure that's really me. And I mentioned it to a friend who said, Are you out of your mind? <laughs> of course you want to write a novel, don't be ridiculous, email her straight back. So I did. Um, and we met up and she said, Yeah, yeah, write a novel. And I, I distinctly remember saying, Sure, how, how do you actually do that though? Um, and she, she was very uncompromising with her advice, and so it's the only advice I ever give to anyone who kind of says, Oh, I'm an aspiring writer, what, what do you tips? She just said, No, you just need to write a novel. She said, There's no how to. She said, You can waste a lot of time on, you know, creative writing courses and lectures and stuff. She said, If I were you, I'd just write the thing. 100,000 words, uh, roughly, would be great. Send it to me when you're done. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, oh, uh, oh, okay, right. <laughs> Um, so I sat down to write it one Sunday evening, got into bed with my laptop, and two hours later emerged from the bedroom and said to my housemate, I can't do this, this is impossible. Um, he sent me straight back to bed and said, no, no, just, just write, even if you write 100 words, write something. So I did, and that was the start of it. Um, I thought you were going to say, you know, I, I thought you were going to say you came out of your room after two hours, and you had magically figured the whole thing out, and it was like almost done, and... <laughs> To be that is not what happened <laughs> at all, or even close. Good, I'm uh, glad. No, I came out and said, oh, no, 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 I can't do that, thanks. Oh, yeah, I'll give that up. Um, I wrote a few words, just a character study on my, um, some character notes on my first character, my first main character, and that was it. That was all I could manage. And I thought, gosh, this is stressful. Um, and that, you know, it still makes me laugh when people come to me saying, oh, my God, I want nothing more than to be a writer. Yes, it's a fantastic job and it's an incredibly privileged job to have, but it's incredibly hard. And I think when you are an unpublished writer, none of the stressful realities of having a contract are obvious. 
And I think I've met a lot of unpublished writers in my time who probably just think I'm a real whinger. Um, I'm incredibly grateful that it's my full-time job. There's nothing else I want to do. But as with all jobs, you know, it's a job. And that's why, you know, there, there are things about it that are difficult. Um, but luckily, when I wrote that first novel, I had no idea. I mean, I was in the middle of doing another job in telly at the time. So I was just sort of cramming in bits here and there. Um, and what, sort of often what, in the middle of the night. What uh, I know, you you wrote somewhere that you were writing from five a.m. to nine a.m. and then going to your day job in TV and working all day and then coming home and writing the novel some more. That's like insane. How did you manage that? I think I was going mad. At the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a lot of sugar, um, a lot of caffeine, uh, neither of which I would recommend. Um, <laughs> And just quite a lot of madness, really, because I was also in the middle of... Um, I was going to go to Buenos Aires anyway, because I'd, I'd, I'd already decided that um, I wanted to go there and um, have a very sort of polite middle-class um, midlife crisis. <laughs> I mean, there wasn't really a crisis. I just thought I'd love the idea of just uprooting my life and uh, moving there. So I was already in the middle of packing my life into a storage unit. Um, I was directing my first documentary film, um, that's my career. And so then to have a book to write on top, I mean, I, I don't honestly know how I survived. I just remember sitting in bed at kind of one, two in the morning, typing furiously away um, and thinking, this is fine, this is fine, I'll just get up in three hours and carry on writing. <laughs> of course, you know, that was not sustainable. <laughs> I think by, by the time I finally made it to Buenos Aires, by which point I'd written about, I don't know, a third of the novel, um, I was completely exhausted, and I got the first virus that came my way. I was in bed for four weeks. Oh no! And at that point, I well, at that point, that was fine. I, I actually needed to. So from that point on, I just calmed, calmed down, and wrote a lot more calmly, and began to sort of work out a, a more practical method that would that would kind of keep me sane. So I love how um, you've written a lot about how to survive bad writing days, and sort of been very self-effacing and funny about the fact that writing is not always so easy and it's not just like, you know, sitting with a view of, view of the ocean, you know, crafting some sort of miracle. Um, so you said, you actually, when, when I'm just going to read this back to you if you don't mind. You wrote, here is, what my, here is what my head says when I hit on problems with my novels. Oh God, oh God, oh God, I'm doomed. My agent is on holiday. I couldn't possibly send it to my editor because she then realized that I am not perfect. And I've never totally, I've never understood what the hell people are on about when they, are, when they're having a writing mentor. So I ain't got one of them either. I am totally and utterly fucked. Ah, there is nobody who can help me. I am alone. Doom. Death. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a bit of melodrama. I loved it. Although, to be honest, I think that's a place that many writers' heads take them. I think that's that's a, that's a one thing that's been very comforting about having loads of writers' friends, or making loads of writers' friends over the year over the years, we're all mad, you know, we all hit on those times, and <laughs> I've certainly got a lot better at dealing with them, but when I really allow things to spiral out of control, that's <laughs> still many years later where my head takes me, bit of a shame really, I guess that's not, that kind of thinking is not conducive to good, good writing. Although if writers didn't have like an ongoing sort of interior monologue, there would be no books, right, <laughs> isn't that where they all come from, right, there's so many voices yeah, going no. on. I agree. I think it is a prerequisite of, of any good writer to, to be slightly insane, and that's fine. <laughs> it's just keep, keeping that insanity fenced in a little and, you know, finding ways of creating boundaries to keep yourself sane and sensible, and, and that's what I've done over the years. I've, I haven't developed creative writing techniques because they just, uh, I don't know, it's just not something I've ever got involved in. I, I write using my gut. Um, 
but I do have a lot of boundaries and tools and techniques now. You know, I work in short bursts. Um, I do lots of lifts. I do tick boxes. Um, I turn off the internet. I turn off my phone. And also, I think the most important thing that I do is to not write too much. Um, I know that many writer friends do, do fine sort of shutting themselves in a room with a computer for eight or ten hours. Um, that, for me, would end up in an asylum. <laughs> I find that if I'm really boundaried and disciplined about my writing, I get way more done in four hours than I could ever do with a sort of unboundaried, undisciplined eight to ten hours dash. Hmm. Um, and that's good because, you know, it means I have time to see other people writing for a solitary job, you know, you're sort of sitting in a room on your own all day. Um, and human interaction is absolutely critical, I think, for writing good dialogue and just also just reacquainting yourself with humanity, <laughs> humanity and sort of reminding yourself what it's, you know, what it's like to be a person and to watch other people and to spy on people, you know, to do all the things that writers do, the, the way we sort of are constantly filtering other people's behaviour. Yeah. Um, for me, it's really important to, to have some of my day dedicated to that, you know, just basic human interaction. I think a, a lot of people could benefit from getting up from their desks instead of sitting there for eight hours yeah. a day, honestly. <laughs> oh, I couldn't agree more. You know, just sitting up straight, you know, getting up, shaking your legs, running on the spot, anything, yeah. I think is better than... I think I think a sort of static body at a desk grappling with a problem very quickly turns into a fast, anxious mind yeah. for me. Yeah. Whereas if I can get that, you know, any kind of negative, anxious thinking out physically... Then I'm clear again and ready to go, but that's not going to happen if I'm sitting still slumped in front of the desk. I love how your your advice on the website is just get outside however possible, on a bike, on foot, however, and just get moving and get out there. Yes. Yes, and sometimes I have to go and actually read my own website to remind That is to me, because sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, but I'm really cold. Well, great. Well, that's why you need to get up and get out and actually move so that you're warm again. I know, I love that. Um, or sometimes I'll think, oh, you know, if I go outside, oh, I'll have less writing time. You know, there's absolutely, that's such, that it's so counterintuitive, that sort of thinking, because actually taking half an hour to get outside can transform the rest of your writing day. And if you don't go outside, the chances are the entire day will be a write-off rather than just half of it. Yeah. I love how you said... Uh, even if it's freezing, just like wrap yourself in a blanket and sit on your porch. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I'm like imagining you sitting there all wrapped up, <laughs> like just like waiting. Is my outside time done now? <laughs> well, sadly, we well not sadly, we we've, we've had some since I wrote that. We've had some work done on our house, so I don't actually have that little perch I used to sit on. Oh anymore. no. I'm going to have to find a new one. Maybe in our front garden. That'd be a bit weird because my neighbours be walking past all the time. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just cocoon myself in a blanket and. Make make some strange movements or noises so they don't disturb me. They think I'm having a moment or something. So, so what is this Pomodoro technique, time management method that you're ta- that you oh. um, have? Been, do you still follow that? What is it exactly? Yeah, I do. Uh, so, the Pomodoro technique is something that um, well, the whole book's been written about it. Um, although, it's actually, if you Google it, there's there's a lot of information on on the Pomodoro technique website. It's 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 a it's an approach to working which was. Um, developed specifically for writers but actually I think people in all sorts of careers uh, find it useful it's something that I've suggested to people in all sorts of jobs and they find it to be transformative um, it is I mean 
at its most basic, it's um, it's about spending 25 minutes writing and then taking five minutes off because um, after conducting quite a substantial body of research, um, they discovered that 25 minutes is sort of optimum concentration time. Mm. Um, and you do that four times over and then you take a longer break. Um, and, I mean, there's many other elements too. You know, you need to set out a plan for yourself. You need to... Um, you need to have a list near, nearby, you know, pen and paper, so that if, you know, if, you know you know when you're sitting down doing a job and then suddenly you think, oh, I was meant to call the insurance man back. Um, <laughs> rather than then calling them, because you know you'll forget otherwise, you just write a note. And then at the end of your 25 minutes, you've got five minutes or so to call them. And, you know, obviously if it takes longer, then it takes longer. But the, the, the power of that pen and paper nearby is, is not to be underestimated, actually. Hmm. It stops you breaking off to do stuff that you would otherwise break off to do and keeps you at your desk, fingers tapping away. Um, I mean, there's, there's many there's many other aspects to Pomodoro Technique, and I urge anyone who's interested to, to look it up. And just give yourself a, basically a Pomodoro's worth of time, which is 25 minutes, to read through the website, taking notes, um, and give it a go. Just, just try it for, for a morning. Um, I think most people will find it to be incredibly helpful, no matter what their job, no matter what their approach is. Mm. Um, and, and of course, you know, exception that sometimes you need to be flexible. You know, sometimes I'll, you know, today, today I've got a, I've got a, a scheduled day of back-to-back interviews and radio interviews and podcasts and so on. Obviously, it's not very. It's not. It's not just me. You didn't. It's not me. You know, I thought I was like, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but when, 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 for days where you own your own working time, I think it's an invaluable tool. I, I would be lost without it. That's awesome. So um, let's go back to Ghosted, if that's okay with you. Um, so what? <laughs> what made? So what made you decide to write this novel under your real name, whereas your previous four have been under Lucy Robinson? Mm. Um. So I planned to write this as Lucy Robinson, and I pitched the idea to my agent um, as Lucy Robinson. And then when I sat down to write it, what came out was was so different to what I'd written before. I mean, not entirely. I mean, you'd still know. I think you know, fans of my pseudonymously written novels would still know it's me. Um, but the way that I was writing it just felt so different, and the, the type of novel it was becoming. Um, it's, you know, it's quite a cross-genre kind of novel. Um, it all felt so different um, that, you know, even I could see that. And I sent about 30,000 words to my agent, which is, you know, normally the stage at which I sent her some material for feedback. And she said, now, listen, I really think you should consider publishing this under your own name. Um, and I was, I was resistant to that at first because I sort of felt that my first Rosie Wilson book wouldn't be a love story because my previous novels under my pseudonym had been love stories, but actually this is so much more than a love story, you know, it has elements of um, the psychological thriller, suspense, um, there's, there's so many different things going on in this book, um, that when I finished it, I, I knew she was right, and I was actually really happy and proud um, to see it going out on submission um, as a sort of first book by Rosie Walsh. It felt completely right, and you know, I haven't looked, I haven't regretted that decision once, and, and actually it's, it's I, I really, really, really love my book. Um, I hope that doesn't sound arrogant. It's, it's <laughs> Sounds awesome. And, you know, and it gives me such an incredible thrill. I never quite identified when I heard other writers talking about how they never get over the thrill of, you know, unboxing 
their, their latest book. And I never quite felt that, even though, you know, my Lucy Robinson books were really nicely published, really nice jackets and so on. Um, but when I unboxed the first copy that I saw of my of Ghosted, it was the French edition, actually. And um, I held it in my hands. And I smelled it, obviously, as you do. Um, <laughs> and and I read the first few lines. My French isn't great, but you know, I certainly know that that, that opening chapter very well. And I I started crying. I, it was Aww. just such an, a beautiful emotional moment to me. It felt like it felt like such a huge personal triumph. Um, and I don't think I could have felt that had it been a different name on the front. Um, so yeah, it all sort of everything just sort of came together at the right time and I couldn't be happier that it says Rosie Walsh on the front it just makes me smile every time I see it and not only does it say Rosie Walsh but it says it in a million different languages and on different covers because now it's been translated into how many languages so many 30 or yeah yeah a million like you said a million okay good (laughs) (laughs) no it's 31 31 um which includes um Catalan and um Catalan Spanish. Wow. So I was looking at all the different covers because all the different countries seem to have different designs. And I've decided my favorite is Tudo Aquilo que nos separa, <laughs> which uh, oh, isn't that gorgeous? it's so pretty with the hands outstretched to each other and like the tree sort of in the background. And um, I thought that was so nice. What, what's your favorite? And what do you think about having so many different cover designs? Oh, they're amazing and they're really fascinating and actually what they tell me um, even though I already knew but they really bring it to the fore is that this book is quite hard to define you know some of them have really gone gone helpful over with the romance um, packaging some have really gone for sort of suspense thrillery kind of packaging some have gone you know sort of middle book club appeal mm-hmm. um, I think I think they're fascinating how very different they are and you know, what market each publisher has decided to um, direct their campaign at. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I, there's, there's some, I love all of them, obviously. I could not, but there's some real cracks in there. I love the one that you talk about. That's the Brazilian one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved that Renata, my editor there, um, how she did it. She, she looked at the Canadian edition, Canadian, Australian, New Zealand, which is a really beautiful picture um, of two people and she looked at it and thought, I really like the colours and the setup, but she felt that actually the important aspect was not the couple, but the fact that they're not together. Mm-hmm. And so that's why she she kept many of the same elements, but included two hands not quite touching, um, which I think is really powerful, and that that, that title translates to um, all that keeps us apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that was incredibly clever. I love my US Ghosted jacket. I mean, I... I'm sure that goes without saying. I think it's just beautiful. It Instagrams like a dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and but actually, so it's been out, um, a, lot, a lot of readers got their hands on it a month early through the Book of the Month Club. And actually, you know, so many of them have said, oh, I love this jacket. Like, I think it's, I've heard more I love the jacket than I've heard I love the book. <laughs> um, I think it's just really original and striking and beautiful and says a lot of things to a lot of people. Um, and then I think my third top one is the Spanish one. It's just really beautiful. Um, El Chico que nunca llamó, um, which, oh God, it's so stylish. 
they sent me a tote bag of it and I just I carried that tote bag around all over the place people must think I'm such an idiot no that with my name on it, but I just love it. No, I mean, come on. If you're not going to advertise for yourself, who will, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, I mean, actually, your entire team. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. In uh, in in the book, so you have Sarah watching her friend Joe and Joe's son Rudy. Your characters are like just so amazing and so real. Anyway, you wrote Joe took a photo of her son five minutes ago. She'd been telling Rudy off about something. Now she smiled at him with a love that had no edges. And I thought that was just such a great way to depict this parent-child relationship. But one minute, you're like mm. screaming and furious at the kids. The next minute, you're beaming with pride and love. Um, so your baby's 14 months old. Have you found this to be the truth as a mom as well? Yes, it has. Um, I mean, you know, see, I'm not going to scream or hit my child. That's, you know, I didn't say terrible. hit. I did not say hit. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I was thinking about the times that I've lost my temper with him. And even though, obviously, I would never scream at him or hit him or anything, there have been times where I've definitely lost my temper. And then literally seconds later, I've just felt so overwhelmed by love, I can hardly speak. And then, of course, you know, he's an awful for right. having got across in the first place. But that's motherhood. Um, I, I wrote that line before I had a child, actually. Um, and there's, there's there's a woman in the book who uh, has a baby, too, later on in, in the storyline. And uh, writing about her, um, I wrote before I had um, been pregnant or had a baby myself. And um, I guess I just have spent a lot of time with a lot of friends who've had babies. You know, I was pretty much a loss, I knew, to in my friendship circles to, to have one. Um, and so I, I watched that, but interesting that line that you picked out where, you know, five minutes ago she was shouting and then she looked at him with love that had no edges. When I wrote that, I was still baffled by that as, as, an, as, an, as an emotional experience. I'd seen, you know, all of my mum friends doing that sort of thing, but couldn't quite understand how you could get over the anger so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, as with so many of the emotional experiences of being a mother, that's just something that's an impossible impossible to convey to somebody who's not yet had a child, I think. So I wrote it because I'd seen it happening. But I wrote it sort of quite emptily, I guess, then, because I, I knew that to be the case, but I couldn't understand why right. or how. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. Well, you, I, I mean, understand how you could be so angry and yet still love somebody that much. You know what I'm? No, I get if it. I'm angry with somebody, I really hate them at that moment. Right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. It doesn't. It, a lot of parenting makes no sense. I feel like it's an emotional mm, roller coaster. Yeah, it's like you know, every minute yeah. there's something else. You got to be like on your toes at all yeah. times. <laughs> um, yep. There's um, certainly nothing quite like it. And they warned me of that, but I still didn't listen. I was like, oh no, 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 I'll be fine. I'll be easy. Yeah. We're all very negative about parenthood. <laughs> yeah, I, funnily enough, I'm having exactly the same experience as everyone else. <laughs> um, so, at a lot of parts in in Ghosted, I was I was holding my breath, and at times I was like calling out to my husband, like, "Oh my gosh, plot twist! I thought something totally different was happening." And I was, you know, I was like totally like I was like, "Remember it?" Like, anyway, it was. Um, you know, I was I, I was like physical in my reactions to to reading the story. How how did oh you manage? Oh my god, you're a dream. Well, thanks. Um, like, did you plan the, that? You know, the the how the we the sort of not weaving path, but you know, the way. Did you plan how the 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 novel would go in the directions from the start, or did it unfold? Because a lot of 
people sometimes say, oh, it just sort of wrote itself, but you must have had to plan it because it was so complex and intricate. Mm, terrible, yeah, well, terrible question. Did not write itself. It was hard work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, no, the, 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 the elements of kind of suspense and the twists, I mean, the major twist that you get to is about the two-third mark. Um, I knew that from... So so when I started out to write the book, I you know I knew there was a couple that had fallen in, pretty much fallen in love and then he disappeared. Um, what I didn't know was why. And it took me weeks, if not months, to come up with a good reason for him not having called. A reason that would keep us guessing, mm-hmm. a reason that we would never guess, um, but a reason... Um, that would allow room for forgiveness too. You know, I, it was important that once we discovered the reason, we didn't think that Eddie was um, was an ass. Right. Um, so it it did just sort of gradually build up the tension. Um, you know, it, it, at first I was concentrating on the love story, and then I realised actually, if I just wrote a novel about a girl looking vaguely for a guy that she'd fallen in love with. I wouldn't want to read that. I find that really tedious and annoying. Um, <laughs> and I realised that I, you know, every time I took another pass at it, I realised I needed to inject more jeopardy and more suspense and more surprise too. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a figure who appears on a school field staring at Sarah, the main character, quite early on in the book. And we don't find out until a very long way in who that was. That's actually a really key moment. But it, I, I didn't add it in until one of my very final edits. Wow. Um, and it was just one of those moments where I thought, how can I ratchet up the tension? You know, I want people to be thinking 12 different things at once when they're reading this. I mean, above all, I want them to be thinking, I have to know what happened. I have to know where he is. I have to know I didn't call. But I wanted them also to be thinking, oh, actually, hang on, this is a bit worrying. And why is that happening? And, oh, that's a bit unsettling too. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was a gradual layering, I'd say, rather than... Um, early intention for it to be so twisty and so at times tense. Interesting. And so if you had a friend who told you she'd fallen in love basically in a week and then the guy suddenly fell off the face (laughs) of the earth, what advice would you give her? Oh, walk away. Of course, walk away. In spite of having written the novel that I've written, I would always recommend walking away with your head held high because (laughs) 99% of the time people are ghosted because the object is their desire, affections, whatever, have been too cowardly, too rude, too ill-mannered to go through the messiness of ending a new relationship. Um, and it's, you know, it's important that that happens, but it does all of the time because people are lazy and rude and selfish. Um, and I think, you know, as I said, 99% of the time, that's the only reason. And so if there is another reason, even if you've walked away, there'll still be a second chance. So I would continue to say to anyone who's been ghosted, just walk away. Don't text again. <coughs> Delete the number. Walk away. If they have been in a hospital with some terrible mystery illness, you will hear from them. <laughs> and you will be able to verify it with their medical records. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, hope, uh, I hope people hear you say that far and wide because I have a feeling this book is going to spawn like a huge backlash of you know men will no longer be or not just men but people will not be able to be like running away from relationships you're gonna have all these people being like oh no he's not rude he's just there must be this complex story behind it and now i have to figure it out oh no i hope you're wrong you could be right though 
I think, although, to be honest, I think when people do finally understand why it is that Eddie didn't call, I don't think that they would particularly want that to be their story. No, it's, no, it's pretty that's awful. True. I know, that's, that's <laughs> I, I agree, I agree. But at least there's, like, an explanation. I feel like so much of that, um, you know, it's just the lack of closure in situations like that that mm. I think really gets to people. Oh, lack of closure and lack of control is yeah. just awful. Terrible. We've all been there. Yeah. Um, so I know we have to, to, to wrap up soon, but what, what is coming up next for you after this? Well, um, I have been trying to write my next book for the last eight months, not really got very far. <laughs> I think, um, you know, as well as being a new mum and trying to grapple with all that comes with that, I've also, you know, I've just been doing a lot of publicity. Uh, it's beyond, you know, it's exceeded my wildest dreams to have book deals around the world. But with that, um, just comes a lot of work and it's great work. But sometimes, you know, it just takes me a day to, to, to answer all the emails that I need to answer about work stuff. Um, so it's been pretty slow progress with this next book. But I, I've i had some breakthroughs recently and I um, had a good chat with a coach who I sometimes go to if I need to sort of shift something. And she's really set me some fantastic goals. And I, feel, I actually feel really motivated and ready. Uh, so after my day of interviews, radio and podcast interviews today... I'm going to be back at my desk tomorrow morning, and I feel good about it, actually. I feel, I feel finally that I'm ready to write this book, and that it might actually be rather good. Ooh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, and thanks for your amazing novel, and best of luck with, uh, I'm sure it'll be just a massive success in the U.S. It's amazing. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, moms don't really have much time to read, but we have some time. We have enough. So, <laughs> yeah, if any moms do have time to read my book, I'd love to hear from you. They certainly have enough time to buy books, so that's, you know. No, <laughs> All right. All right. Oh, thanks. thanks so much for having me. No, of course. My pleasure. Take care. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This episode was sponsored by Once Upon a Farm. Take care. <laughs>